0: I just keep waiting. It feels like things keep going well for everybody around me, but I just kind of keep sitting on this bench waiting for what's next. Maybe some of you guys are wrestling with some type of a struggle or an addiction in your life. It's like, man, when is this thing gonna let go? When is this thing gonna break? You know, we all know what it feels like to kind of sit here on the bench just waiting, waiting for that next thing to happen, waiting for that thing that we want so badly to change in our lives. And you know, If you're here today and you're struggling with that, I get it. See, our family has been waiting for the last few years for my wife to get better. A few years ago, she went through something really difficult with her health, and it's been almost two years, and I'm happy to say she's had the best last month of the last two years. We're so grateful to God for that. Yeah, thank you. Just like you, I don't like to wait... Our church here, we're waiting. I mean, this is such an amazing thing that we get to meet in a school like this. We're so thankful for this opportunity to be here, but we're also really excited about what's next and a future home for us and what God will do. and And here in this area, having our own space, how amazing will that be? And yet, we're in that period of waiting. We don't know where that is yet, or what that might look like yet. And so we're waiting. And some of you guys are in that season of waiting as well. And so here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you if you're waiting, but. Way more than that, I want to encourage you on a bigger scale today as we celebrate Christmas. I want to remind you of something that's so important. I want to remind you that all of humanity was waiting on this bench. What do I mean by that? All of humanity was waiting for Christmas. We were sitting here waiting. What's God going to do? Is he going to do anything at all? Here we are, lost in our struggles and and lost sort of to ourselves. What's God going to do? And all of humanity was waiting on that bench. And you know what's true of us? When we were waiting on the bench, there were a few things that we have to talk about. See, there's four words I want you to think about today. And those words are this. Slaves, guilty, guilty. Fearful and shameful. And you're like, Merry Christmas to you too, Doug, right? What are we talking about here in the Christmas service? See, the reality is, is that every single one of us, while we were waiting for the Savior, while we were waiting for Christmas, we were slaves. What were we slaves to? We were slaves to the rules or slaves to the law. For example, When God creates everything, right, and people start to do the wrong thing, they start to sin and they start to do the wrong thing, God realized something. He realized that people left to themselves would tear themselves apart, right? Would absolutely tear themselves apart. I mean, you just look at the beginning uh, beginning of the Bible and people start to murder one another. People start to do horrible things to each other. So he gives the rules. He gives the law. And the point of the law or the rules is to protect us. It's almost like he put a seatbelt on humanity. And he kind of buckled us in while we're waiting for what God would do. And here we are, hanging on. God, are you going to come through? God, are you going to do anything? God, are you going to rescue mankind? And we're restrained. And so maybe somebody, you know, we're tempted to do the wrong thing. The law was meant to hold us back, right? Oh, I want to go over there and do this. Or I want to head over there and do X, Y, or Z. And the rules of the law were meant to protect us. And so that's one of the things that's going on in this season as we're waiting. But... Don't we all know the truth that it was a really weighty law, right? That restraint was really heavy on us. It was life taking as opposed to life giving. And some of you guys know what it is to have a heavy restraint on you. Let me talk to the youth in the room for a minute, because most of you, uh, let's say over the age of, I don't know, I'm not even going to throw an age out. I don't want to get in trouble on Christmas. But, but many of you won't know what I'm talking about here for a second. But you youth, right? Let's imagine it's Christmas morning, and your parents say, guys, big surprise, we're going to Disney, and everyone starts rejoicing until they utter a few words, and they say this, we thought it would be fun to drive, right, those are eight of the most ridiculous words in the English language, right, because now you're going to drive, and on the drive, what's going to happen, because I was a kid, and I got driven to Disney, right, you're going to have this seat belt on to restrain you the whole trip, and you're exhausted, you want to lay down, you want to lay back, you want to get comfortable, but you have to keep the seatbelt on, and if that weren't worse, or if that weren't bad enough, then you're playing Fortnite right guys you have Fortnite you're playing you're doing well you're about to win and the kids call that a dub getting a dub so there it is how cool am I and so there you are playing Fortnite and there's only one person left and you're so close to winning and your dad slams on the brakes and your phone goes flying out of your hand and now all you have to do is pick up your phone and you'll get that win but what's happened you are restrained you are held back now think about it the restraint is there to protect you isn't it but in the moment, it just feels like a heavy weight. And that's exactly what was going on in humanity. As we were waiting for Jesus to come, this weighty law was on us. And so we were trying to you know, please God in our own strength. We were trying to figure out how to appease Him so there wouldn't be a problem between us and Him. Because the truth is, as soon as we sinned, there was this mountain between us and God. There was this chasm between us and God. And some of you know what religion is all about. What is religion all about? Keeping those rules. Keep the laws, and then God will be happy with you, right? But we all know something else, don't we? That is exhausting. It is also impossible. See, that's the other thing that was true of us. As humanity was waiting for for Christmas, as humanity was waiting for Jesus, we were all guilty before God, We were unable to keep the rules that he called us to keep. And you know what what happens when you're guilty before God? It leads to some things. One of the things it leads to is fear, because now you start to think to yourself, well, how do I stand before God? Like, what's my relationship with God like? Like, for example, if I were to die today, and I were to stand before him, what would he say? Another thing I think that characterizes us when we're guilty before God is shame. And we start to feel sick to ourselves about the way that we've been living as some of us are there right now, but some of you might object to what I'm saying here. Some of you guys might say, you know what, Doug? You got me all wrong. That might be true of a lot of people in this room, but I'm a good person, and I keep those rules really, really well. Well, let me ask you a question. You're a good person in comparison to who, right? The person sitting in the row next to you, or the person at your office or your school that's kind of a mess, Let me give you an example. I have some very exciting news. I'm very, very excited about this. I currently am a video game champion. Very excited. You don't have to, oh no, you should, you should. Thank you, thank you, okay. I hold the high score in a video game. This is, this is unprecedented for me. I'm gonna, I got a picture here to prove it. You can't see it all that well, but I promise it's not doctored. So on the very top, it says me, and that's me, okay? So I am leading that whole scoreboard, and I'm so excited about it because it's never happened in my life. I've never been great at video games, but there it is. So I could walk around saying, hey, I am a very legitimized gamer, right? In comparison to who? Because I got to tell you a little about This screen right now that you're seeing. You see, the game that I'm playing, you kids will understand this, is on an Apple TV, which means it's lame, right? Like, Apple TV is not a major gaming system. Along with that, I'm not going to tell you the name of the game because some of you punks will go online and you'll figure out what game it is and you'll beat me and destroy my hopes and dreams, okay? But I can tell you this. Probably 30 people have ever played that game, okay? Not 30 a minute, not 30 a day, 30 ever. And my guess is they're all under the age of 10, OK But I am the champion, and I love it, OK? Now let me ask you a question. I am a great gamer in comparison to who? 30, 10-year- olds. Right? Who are you good in comparison to? Because here is where it gets a little bit intense. You see, God tells us that his standard is not the person sitting in the row next to you, as nice as they may be. Their standard is not your neighbor, is not the person at your office or school who you kind of know is a mess, and you look at their life and it makes you feel good about yours. That's not the standard. The standard. Is perfection. And now we go, oh, maybe I wasn't keeping those rules as good as I thought I was keeping those rules. And just like there is a huge chasm between me and any legitimate gamer, like the best gamer in the world, there is a huge chasm between you and I and God. And we cannot, cannot in our own strength find our way to him. So, slaves, guilty, fearful, shameful you're like, Doug, you're a jerk, man. Merry Christmas to you, too. Like, this is not good news. Guys, this is great news. You know what? This is the best news. Do you know why? Because Christmas changes everything I just talked about. Jesus coming changes everything that I talked about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here. We love that you are in this building here today. And we want to let you know that we're a kind of church that wants to help people have a place that can come and explore God. And they can walk in and know how imperfect they are and still try to figure out, does God exist? Does he love me? Does he want me? Does he want a relationship with me? And we want to be the kind of church that walks through that process with you. We're not afraid of questions. God's not afraid of questions. But here you are today maybe with some questions. What's this whole law rule thing about then? What what do I do if I'm not keeping that well? What do I do if I feel all this shame and all this guilt? And today I hope to answer those questions. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you will rediscover how beautiful Jesus' coming is. See, here's what happens in a lot of our lives. It just gets a little bit old for us. We get a little bit too used to it. I want you to think about a movie called It's a Wonderful Life, especially, you know, some of the older generation. You probably grew up watching that. I grew up watching this movie with my family. And actually, my little guy, Landon, was home recently, and he saw some of it. And he was, like, enthralled. I'm like, black and white from, like, 1910. That's legit. But there he was, enjoying it. And the story is basically a man who discovers and is able to see what life would be like had he not been born. And here's what I want you to think about as we try to rediscover some awe at who Jesus is and what he's done for us, what would have happened? What would your life be like if Jesus had never been born? Like just imagine that. I don't know if you've thought about that lately. You know, When you walked into this building today, if Jesus hadn't been born, hadn't come to help us and rescue us, if we were all still sitting strapped to the bench, what would be different in your life? What kind of hope would you have? What kind of peace would you have? See, we're going to work through all that here today, and I really hope that both followers of Jesus and people this may all be new to will find some incredible wonder and amazement at what Jesus has done. So we're going to look at something in Galatians chapter 4, and a guy named Paul, who was an amazing follower of Jesus, wrote this, and he wrote it partially to help his friends rediscover what Jesus had done for them. So Galatians 4 verse 1 says this, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. And you're like, what did we just read? (laughs) Like, isn't this the Christmas service, Doug? What does it have to do with Christmas, right? You haven't seen that on a greeting card yet? You guys didn't see that one? Uh, There's actually a song. You guys can sing it along with me. It goes like this. What I'm saying is that as long, come on, as an heir... No, you don't know that one? Okay, So, so what's the deal with these verses that don't feel like they're very Christmassy? Well, here's the thing. They lead us to the Christmas story. You see, what Paul is trying to do is use an illustration here. And so at Christmas, we talk about the coming of a child, Jesus, right? Well, Paul is trying to get us to think about a child. And the child in this illustration represents humanity. And what does it say? It says that this child is waiting This child is sitting on the bench, waiting for the estate that will one day be his, waiting for his father to give him his inheritance. And that was all of us. That was all of humanity as we waited for Christmas, as we waited for Jesus. But look at what it says next. It says, The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father okay, so here is this kid, remember, all humanity, we're sitting on the bench waiting for what our father would give us, so there will come a day when Kelly and I will pass away, right, and we will leave our illustrious estate to our children, and I just imagine them all sitting in a nice lawyer's office on a nice leather couch, and the lawyer comes in and opens his briefcase, and and of course, my children are, are, they're beyond consoling because I'm gone, and Oh, and their mom, and their mom too, but no, no. If anything, it'd be opposite, like, oh, mom and dad, whatever. But, but there, there, there they are, and the lawyer takes a letter out and says, Dear Kay Douglas, Bryn Catherine, and Landon Jude, we have been talking and thinking about how to best take care of your needs for the future, and we have decided it best to sell all of your belongings, all of our belongings, anything you would inherit, and instead purchase for you a lifetime supply of Chick-fil-A and Dr. Pepper because what's more glorious than that? And, and they'd sit there, and they'd be waiting. Now, here's the thing. The thing is this. If Kelly and I pass away in old age, they would get up from the lawyer couch, they would go over, and they would take their inheritance, right? But if Kelly and I pass away when they are young, they will be restrained, held back, waiting for that inheritance to come. And guys, in this story... If the kid is you and me and humanity, do you know what restrains us? The law. The rules. See, our whole lives, you know, oh, I want to I do something you know, impure. I want to lie. I want to gossip. I want to steal. I, I hate that person so much I could kill them. And the law holds us back. And we're sitting here and we got this heavy restraint, but we found out something, that, that while this restrains us from some things, it doesn't restrain us from everything. And sometimes we push past that law, passed those rules, and we break them. It goes on here in verse 3. It says, So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And part of us being slaves was to these rules or to these laws. So all of humanity is waiting for Christmas. We're all waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for a Savior, someone to come and rescue us but we're in slavery to this weighty restraint on our lives. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that restraints only work so well in our lives? You know, like, like I said, you can kind of bust through a restraint. I'll give you an example of how this happened to me recently. My wife made some M&M cookies last night. Those are my favorite cookies in the whole world, and she makes them incredibly. And so she's good to me. She left me one cookie so I could come home, and eat it. Not that she ate the rest. She's like, wow, she really went to town. No, no. She left me one cookie out, and the rest she left away for Christmas, you know, and so I had the one cookie, and you know what happened? Guys in the room about three hours later, right? I'm like, I need more cookies, right? And so I start to go on a hunt. I can't ask Kelly where they are because that ain't going down, right? So I got to find them. So I start hunting through and I'm looking all around. I can't find them. They were in the garage. She knows me so well. She put them out in the garage. Not only were they in the garage, in a container, they were saran wrapped like they had to survive a nuclear holocaust. Now, Kelly would say, oh, honey, I was just ensuring they would stay nice and fresh, It was a restraint against me, I'm telling you right now, that I was going to find those things, pull them out, and be like, oh, I can't eat these, they're all wrapped up, you know? I stood in the garage, and unwrapped piece (laughs) after piece, opened them up, and I grabbed one out, and I'm like, one's not going to do. I was wearing a sweatshirt, had a little pocket pouch here, I filled the pouch with M&M cookies, walked back in the house, and I'm eating one, and Kelly catches me, where did you find that thing? Right? little did she know, she just found this out this morning, the entire night I'm pulling them out of my pouch, you know, just, it was so good, right? So the restraint only worked so well, right? I was able to get past that restraint and break the rules, so to speak, right? And so here we are being held back, it's not working so well, we're doing wrong things, and because of doing wrong things, we are guilty, and we are feeling the shame of that, and we are feeling the fear of what would happen if I stood before God today. Ever experienced that? You ever felt any of these emotions? Have you ever felt the slave that you and I are to these rules? Have you ever felt the pressure of trying to perform and perform and make this work? Have you ever felt the guilt when you don't make it work? Have you ever felt the shame and the fear because of the guilt when you break those rules? Well, let's look at verse 4. But when... The set time had fully come. Christmas happened. God sent his son. You see, all of humanity waiting, and we're building to this moment, and and people are lost in their sin, and they're trying to figure out how to appease God and keep the rules, and all along he's going, wait, 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 wait. There's a great moment coming. There's this beautiful moment coming when I will put my plan of salvation into effect. And when the time had fully come, he sent Jesus to rescue you and me. And I want to encourage you here today, if you are waiting on something else, if you're waiting on a provision, if you're waiting on a relationship, if you're waiting on health, if you're waiting on whatever it might be, I want to encourage you that the scriptures are clear that, man, your life is planned. It's in the hands of God. And you know what? There is a when the set time had fully come moment in God's hands for what you and I wait on. And he's got us. And so be encouraged in that. But way more important than that is knowing that there was that moment in history when God said to Jesus, now, go now. Now is the moment. Humanity is waiting and they're buckled in and they're all restrained back from doing those wrong things, but that's not working. I'm gonna send you to save and to rescue. And that's what Christmas is all about. You see, your biggest need isn't provision or a marriage or a relationship. Your greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And that's what Jesus came to accomplish. And that's Christmas. And that's what this is all about. And so you're going, Doug, but, but uh, we're talking about, you know, Jesus coming, but you keep talking about how, you know, we've been freed from our guilt and our shame. How does that all happen? Well, we're going to get there. But look what it says next. It says, born of a woman, born of a woman. Jesus comes, born of a woman. Can I tell you something? That is ridiculous. Like, like, that is unbelievable that God, Jesus is fully God, would come and live as a man, live among his creation. That is mind-blowing. That should cause you and I, if we're followers of Jesus or not, to have something well up inside of us, like, how can this be? I'll give you a, an example, and I'm warning you up front, this is a horrible illustration really, really bad illustration, but it's bad for a point. And so, back to my M&M cookies, man. I got a little problem, but these ones I made, okay? And it looks like there's a bite taken out of this cookie, but there is no bite taken out of this cookie. When I put it on the cookie jar and I put the top back on, it kind of came down heavy and it broke this portion of the cookie. So, cookie's broken, right? Now, just hang with me. We're getting real ridiculous here, but for a point, okay? So, I love this cookie. I love its potential, what it could be one day. And so what do I do? I become a cookie, and I give my life to rescue back the broken cookies. You're going, duck. this is the Christmas service. You've got to have something better than an M&M cookie, and you become Guys, the reason I share that bad illustration is because it is 10 billion times more unbelievable that God would become man. And so you can mock my little illustration as I mock it along with you, but trying to wrap our minds around Jesus coming and doing what he did is way more ridiculous than that. And yet he was born of a woman. Scriptures tell us that angels long to look into this plan of salvation. Like like angels look at salvation you're like, how can this be? It's mind-blowing even to them. It goes on in the next part. It says, born under the law. Jesus was born under the law, which means the same law that was supposed to keep you and I in place, but we broke through that thing time and time again and we failed. Jesus came and he kept it perfectly. He lived it perfectly. And the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but he never sinned. And so he was tempted to lash out in anger, but he never did. He was tempted to lust, but he never did. He was tempted to gossip, but he never did. He was tempted, had he been married, to sneak into the garage and steal a few cookies, but he never did. He lived a perfect life, the life you and I were supposed to live when we were strapped in, but we couldn't. He lived it so that these restraints could come off of us, so that we could find hope and we could find freedom and salvation in him. It wasn't just about him being born a cute little baby. It wasn't just about him living the perfect life in all the ways that we failed. One day he would get on a cross and be punished for all the ways that we failed. And then, historical event that changed the whole world, he rose back from the dead. And if you struggle to believe that, you're looking at a guy who struggled to believe that for many years of my life too. And I'm convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive today. So I'd love to talk with you about that if you're working through some of that. I understand that doubt. But here is Jesus, born under the law. And then it says this. Why would he do this? Why would he do all this for us? To redeem us. To redeem those under the law. To buy us back. That's what that word redeem means. I have a friend who's always trying to find like aluminum and metal and and copper and valuable things in other people's garbage. And so you'll be driving down the street, he'll hit the brakes, he'll jump out. It's like, where'd Glenn go? And he's digging through somebody's trash. But he takes it to the recycling center and the recycling center redeems it. And buys it back and gives a good amount of money to my friend Glenn for what he did. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, you know, looked at you and I and, and everyone looking at you and I would just see, well, sinner, guilty, shame, right? And Jesus looked at you and I and said, no, I'm going to buy him back and I'm going to give my life to do so. I love that when we couldn't keep the rules, Jesus came and kept them for us. When we were fearful, when we fell short, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I love you, I will make you secure in who i 've made you to be because i 've died for you and i 've risen back from the dead you don 't have to be afraid anymore of when you stand before God what he 'll say or what he 'll do or how he 'll treat you you don 't have to be full of shame anymore because the scriptures tells us that God has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, which by the way is immeasurable, and so God has done so much. And then some. Of somebody in the room might be saying, sweet, this is a great message, man. I, I think what I hear this guy saying is I can just do whatever I want now, right? I'm freed from the rules. I'm freed from the law. Okay, you're freed from trying to keep the rules and keep the law to be right with God. That's true. But God still calls us to do the right thing. Why? Because he loves us so much and he knows doing the wrong thing will kill us. My son Landon is 10 years old and this kid has more energy than anyone i ever met in my life. And he goes tearing through our house And it's not uncommon for him to, like, come running through the room, jump over the back of the couch, flip off the ottoman onto the floor, and start screaming. (laughs) I shouldn't have laughed there, but I don't know. (laughs) And I just, I look at him in the moment, and I say, Bud, don't do that. You're hurting yourself. Why do I do that? Because I'm the worst dad in the whole world, and I'm trying to ruin my son's life, right? No, because I love him, and I want to preserve his life. And so now we are not seatbelted in trying to keep the law to be right with God because Jesus did that for us and freed, the, freed us from this. But the rules and the things that God says are good are still important because God puts them there to protect and preserve us and bless us. And so would you read this along with me? We used to try to do the right thing because we were afraid of what God would do to us. Now we try to do the right thing because we are grateful for what God has done for us. Do you see the difference? One is religion, one is relationship. One is I will perform so God will love me. The other is God loves me, and so I'm going to try to honor him and care and show him I love him so much. And, by the way, he's trying to protect and preserve me by the things he calls me to do. It goes on, it says, that we might receive adoption to sonship and to daughtership. So now, we're the kids of God. Like, we're not these people who we just kind of give a high five to, you know, a little fist, uh, you know, A little fist bump, like, hey, good job, man, you know. No, 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 he has brought us in and made us his sons and his daughters, all because of Christmas. Then verse 6 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Do you realize what a big deal this is? I hope some of the Christians in the room will get excited today, because we so often think, oh, Jesus, cute little baby, how wonderful. We forget how powerful all this is. That the Holy Spirit now lives in our lives, which means when God tells us, hey, stay away from that, that's going to kill you. And you and I sit there and go, but I don't know how to stay away from that. I don't know how to do this. His Spirit is in us to empower us. Remember before I said that we're all sitting there and we're restrained. Let me ask you a question. What's better, being restrained or being empowered? What's going to work better in your life, being restrained or being empowered? You see, I would argue that being restrained is better than being empowered that before Jesus we were restrained but now we're empowered I'll give you an example right back to my 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 food issues right Um, when the failure of the saran wrap around the M&M cookies is realized I can say the restraint didn't work so well but you know what my wife actually is great at and and you know what around Christmas time I'm going to have me some cookies all right so but the rest of the year I'm trying to trying to be careful I'm trying to diet I'm trying to be all right you know and my wife's amazing at encouraging me in that. And she's amazing at making foods that will help me in that. So on the one hand, you have the saran wrap restraining. On the other hand, you have Kelly lovingly encouraging, lovingly making meals that are going to be healthy for me, and this and that, empowering. Which is better? Which works better? And that's what we have now. We now have the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So we are no longer restrained we're empowered. We're still aiming at many of the same things, but it's not to please God, or I'm sorry, it's not to appease God, it's to please God because we are loved and because we've been given so much. Being empowered is better than being restrained. The last verse we're going to look at today is verse 7. It says this, so you are no longer a slave. Did everybody hear that? You are no longer a slave. You are no longer sitting in the chair waiting for a savior. You are no longer restrained by the laws and the rules. No, now you're empowered by God's spirit to live the way he calls you to live. But God's child, and since you're his child, listen to this, God has made you his heir. So, like I said earlier, what's mine is my kids, right? Jerry Seinfeld said, one of his kids asked him, hey, hey daddy, are we, are we rich? And he said, I am. <laughs> you know what? So often in our lives, We're like, yeah, man, I got my house, and I got my... You know what? One day, all that's going to my kids, regardless of what I said about Chick-fil-A and soda. That was just a joke, just so you all know. A Christmas joke, okay? So one day, it'll all go to them. And you know what? One day, all that is, the fathers will go to us, which means he's with us now, and he's working in our lives now, but one day, we will be with him in heaven. And you and I never could have made that happen on our own. That took the death of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus And so we are no longer waiting on that bench. We are now redeemed and loved and wanted and adopted and forgiven and empowered as sons and daughters of Jesus. If I could kind of summarize, I think, everything that Paul is trying to say in these verses we read today, if if this could empower us to walk into our Christmas season with some joy and passion and excitement about what God's done for us, I would just use these few words. Jesus came to set us free. I hope that gets us excited this Christmas season, that we are no longer slaves like we once were, that we are no longer held back. We are now thrust forward and empowered by God himself in every single one of our lives. No more weighty restraints, no more guilt, no more fear, no more shame. We can walk free of all of that. You know what? In my life as I follow Jesus, I can't tell you the last time I wondered if God loves me or not not because I'm a great person, but because he's a great God. I can't tell you the last time I wondered what would happen when I stand before him, because I know what will happen, because he's good and he's gracious. I can't tell you the last time that for an extended period of time I lived in fear or shame. There have been times I have. There have been times I've kicked myself for dumb decisions that I've made, but I can't tell you the last season I had where I lived in shame, because I know that God loves me so much he doesn't want me to live in shame, and the same is true for you. And you can walk in those types of freedoms and insurance assurances. And what's interesting is that the book of Galatians is largely written to not people who don't know this information. It's written to people who do know this information and need it to be reminded. I wonder if that's any of us here today. I know my heart's been encouraged as I've worked through this over the last several weeks to prepare this for you guys. And So will you be grateful for all that God has done? Let's go back to that It's a Wonderful Life thought. If Jesus hadn't come, what would your life be like? How would you be walking out this building today if Jesus had never come for you? If you were still waiting, if you were still restrained, if you were still hoping and praying that somehow God would make a way for you to know him, I don't know about you, I would be a mess. I'm so thankful that I already know Jesus came to set us free. Don't forget our sub-point. If you're waiting on something, it's in God's hands. I have seen God come through for countless people in this room right now. I've seen God come through in marriages. I've seen God come through in relationships. I've seen God come through in provision. I've seen God come through and bring healing. I've seen God transform people's lives. And there's not one perfect person in this room, but there's a lot of people who are different than we used to be because we have the Spirit of God empowering us. So my heart comes to life when I think about the freedom God brings because about six years ago, Uh, I lost my mom, and my mom, cancer just sadly took her life, and as you try and process all that, and and you think about her, and you think about that situation, and she died at 59, and you think about all that she's gone, she she went through, and all our family went through, and I just, I just think of a text that my brother-in-law sent me and my sister on the anniversary of her passing this past year, and it's going to be up on the screen. This is a picture that an artist drew, and it's called First Day in Heaven. And, and what's striking about that picture is that here is this woman just grabbing a hold of Jesus, like not afraid. Do you see that? Not, not like, what's God going to do? Not holding back, not trying to figure out if, if she's accepted or denied. Just, just embracing, almost like Jesus didn't have a choice in that moment. I'm coming, here's the hug, right? And what's mind-blowing is how much that that lady looks like my mom. And I know that beyond the shadow of a doubt, that was her first day in heaven. Not because she was a great lady. She was a great lady, but she was not a perfect lady. But because of Jesus, because of Christmas, because of the death of Jesus, because of the resurrection of Jesus, no doubt that she saw Jesus and ran like that and jumped and held him. In fact, Kelly reminded me, probably not gonna get through that one. (laughs) I'm going to skip that if I can. I'll try to get through it. Kelly reminded me that when... Darn it. When uh, the doctors told my mom in the hospital that she was going to die, she said, I get to get to heaven a little sooner than the rest of you. And that's the hope. And that's the truth. And I don't believe that. I know that. I know she's with Jesus. And today, and Christmas... And all that we talk about here is wrapped up in this reality that it's not because we've performed or got ourselves free, but because Jesus came to do that for each and every one of us. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I hope you're encouraged. And I hope that this is the best news you've ever heard. After the first service, a guy came up to me and hugged me about three times in the lobby with tears running down his face. Thank you. I didn't know this. And you know what? can be just as life-changing for you as you embrace what Jesus has done for you. As you embrace this amazing Savior who wasn't okay for you and I to remain strapped, waiting for hope, but he came. And he's the only one who came. No one else came for you. If you're looking at religion, you're trying to figure out who can save me, who can rescue me, it's always going to come up short unless you're looking at Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that this tremendous gratitude would well up in your heart and this uh, this embracing of Jesus would well up in our lives that we would no longer shrink back in fear or guilt, that we would no longer think that we're slaves, that we would no longer think that we're guilty before God. Jesus came to set us free. Let's pray together. So, Jesus, we love you, God, and we thank you so much that this is our reality, that this is the truth we get to enjoy this season, that, God, you have come, that you have done what is mind-blowing, what is ridiculous, what cannot even be illustrated at an appropriate level. It's so mind-blowing. And so, God, we just thank you. And, Jesus, we just pray that, God, today you will do new things in our hearts and lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, will you just reapproach God today? Will you ask him for a new excitement, a new gratitude for what he's done for you? Will you ask him to help you get past maybe the guilt or the fear or the shame or maybe even feeling like you're still kind of slave, stuck to a a bench waiting? And will you ask him to be at work in your life in such a real way? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you wanna put your trust in him today, you could just pray something like this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying in my place. You didn't have to come for me. You didn't have to rescue me, but you did. And today I put my trust in you. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I ask you to show me what it means to follow you. Show me what it is, God, to be close to you. God, give me the confidence that when I die, my first day in heaven, I'll come running because I know you'll accept me of what you've done for me. Just before we open our eyes and, and sing today, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but I would love to be praying for anybody that put their trust in Jesus for the very first time today. And so if, if you're comfortable with this, I'm just gonna start over here on the right section. And I just ask you, look me in the eye if you prayed this prayer for the very first time today. Did anybody do that? Just look me in the eye here over in the right section. It's about the center section. Anybody? Very first time. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. I see you back there. Amazing. Over here on your guys' left. Anybody for the very first time? Cool. And now to the back. Anybody there in the back? I see you. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. But God, we just thank you so much for all these lives that you've worked in today. And I just pray that you will be with them and help them to be able to continue to get closer to you. Next week, I'm going to talk about what to do next. Some of you put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Many of you have known Jesus for a long time. What do we do next? But we're going to talk about that. And just want to encourage you, if you have questions or you need prayer, we're here. Please don't leave this place thinking that this was just a one-time experience and, and now you don't know what to do next. We would love to continue to help you take steps closer to Jesus. Let's stand together.